actually will be interviewing as a team. You are the best movers on the planet. So, bro, what kind of muscles you have? No. Bro, what kind of patterns you have? We're here to fuck shit up. Movement Athlete Podcast, episode 13. I'm Dr. Wes Hendricks. I'm John Lindsay. So John and I were on a little bit of a hiatus. John was, were you doing something? Did you go somewhere? I went on a little, kind of like a family reunion trip. My dad's family has a cool little cabin on a lake up in northern Wisconsin. And uh, very few of them have met. I don't think any of them have met Caitlin. So we went up there and spent like five nights, four or five nights up there. Oh, damn. Okay. Did you guys drive or fly? Oh, we flew. Flew. Okay. So, yeah, that'd be quite. Fly, you fly to Minneapolis and then drive three hours. Uh, well, I, I was like, that's going to be a, pr- that'd be a pretty far drive. But now that I say that, Steph and I are driving to Madison, Wisconsin in the end of July for the CrossFit Games because she's competing in the CrossFit Games. That, that's an awesome town. I've never been there, but I've heard that's an incredible town. So that's going to be fun. Really? I, I, yeah. It just seems so random to, to, to have the CrossFit Games there. But that, that's good to know because I'm going to, we're going to be there for like eight days and most of the time I'm going to be by myself. So it's good to know. It's, it's a fit town. It's kind of like a mini Austin, Texas. It's a, that's really interesting. You'll, yeah. You'll like it. It's a, that's where the university of Wisconsin is. And it constantly gets voted like best college town, like stuff like that. So really? Wow. Yeah, my, a, my perspective. I've, again, I've never been there, but I've heard nothing but like super cool things. We're going to hop on the podcast after this trip, and I'm going to be like, this town sucked. John was completely you know, wrong. You're, you're also going at the best time to be in Wisconsin, too. So it'll be uh, like like mid-70s, no humidity. Perfect. I love it. Well, I was on a hiatus. I was in Austin and then Portland for a while. So it was like we, we traveled at just the right time to take a little break from the podcast. But now we're back, and I figured we'd start it back off with a uh, – a uh, mailbag episode answer some questions um so i think we have some decent questions um probably some stupid questions mixed in there too um yeah some stuff piling up over our uh, two-week hiatus so uh we want to jump right into it our first question is how often do you guys train with weights okay i like this this is a softball we got to warm up after not doing this yeah. for a little while you want to go first yeah, I mean, I uh, I incorporate weights into almost any strength session I'm doing, but usually the goal of that strength session, um, especially upper body, is to get better at some skill, whether it's progressing towards the one-arm chin or progressing towards the handstand push-up. But more often than not, later in that workout, there's some sort of weight stuff going on, like overhead pressing, uh, maybe some Cuban rotations, maybe some traditional bicep-tricep work. Um, and the same with pulling, I use weights for weighted pull-up work. Um, sometimes I use a cable machine for rows or a barbell for bent over rows. So weights are used in my upper body sessions, but they're not the main focus, if that makes sense. Uh, and then as far as lower body goes, I, I go through a lot of weird phases with my lower body sessions, but I more often than not, at least once a week, I'm incorporating weights in a squatting or deadlifting fashion in some capacity. Um, but usually there's some skill work there too, whether I'm trying to clean up my dragon squats or work on, uh, the depth of my sissy squats, something like that. But, uh, but weights are used as well. Um, I rarely post like myself doing a set of bicep curls or some tricep skull crusher exercise, just cause <laughs> I don't find them to be very interesting. And by the end of the workout, I'm kind of like over that. So 
I do I don't showcase that I use that stuff a lot, but it is used uh, to supplement the rest of the workout. All right. Yeah. So I would say, honestly, I use weights in some capacity. And so I'm training four days a week right now. Um, I use them in every single session in some capacity. And I like what you said, um, that you use it as kind of assistance exercise for the gymnastics work. Cause that's exactly what we're doing. Um, for a couple of reasons, you know, you know, our primary exercises in every movement training session for you and myself, I'm, I was going to be one arm chin up, you know, handstand push up, some sort of plancher lever, um, but at a certain capacity, you know, you can only train those, those, um, those movements for a, a high rep or for a certain number of reps. You can't train them for high reps, at least right now, because both of them at some, some um, variation are close to our max. So, you know, we're working in the one to three rep range on them. Um, and then at a certain point, too, you just become neurologically taxed that the quality drops off. So the, using weights as assistance exercises to support the gymnastics work is really helpful because you can get more work in, you know, you can kind of get this, we could say hypertrophy of response to increase the cross-sectional area of the muscle to increase our capacity further on to express strength for that, you know, handstand push up, one arm chin up, um, whatever those gymnastics based goals are. So I think it re they really complement themselves really well. Um, you know, on lower body days, whether I'm deadlifting to get stronger or even for the lower body mobility work, a lot of the times I'm using weights like the loaded lunges you gave me or, you know, Jefferson curls. I'm using weights at some capacity to uh, assist in the, uh, the stretching as well. Um, so they're used more often than I think people would, uh, would think in both of our practices or training sessions. Yeah. All right. The next question, how often can you safely stretch splits? They didn't stress middle or fronts, but I don't think it really matters. Okay. Yes. Um, I feel like, I know I probably have a little bit better insight than you on this, but I know you're kind of on this, the rabbit hole journey, the splits right now. What is, yeah. what has been your take as you've been training them the past couple months, couple, maybe even year or whatever it's been. Um, so right now I I've been training it once a week. I, I, I like it. Um, and honestly, even when I train it once a week, it's very low volume too. Um, you know, it's three, four, maybe five sets of, you know, those isometric middle splits where I'm going as deep as I can. Um, uh, but most of the time, you know, most days it's a very intuitive approach where like I'll do my third set and I'll be like, you know what? My adductors are smoked. There's no need to push it, you know, because I'd much rather make the small incremental progress, um, but continue to make progress as opposed to try to push it, do a lot in one session and basically, you know, burn down the entire barn per se, where then I've strained an adductor, I'm pissed off, <laughs> and I can't do my middle split work now for probably close to a month because I've just irritated the adductor. Um, so it's, it's this balancing act where kind of less is more with this. Like, yes, you can maybe push it, the volume per session, and then, you know, the frequency per week. But I think the, the risk to benefit ratio just isn't worth it um, for them. Um, and, and I'm making progress at a very, a very good rate still with it, with yeah, here's the, the last post you did on it looked nice. Uh, I don't know yeah. when that, I can't remember when that was probably within the last week though. Yeah. Uh, the, I appreciate that. The, it's it really it's very minimal what I'm doing and it's almost counterintuitive because you think you want to like, you know, more is always better, but that's not necessarily yeah. the case, especially with something like this. Um, so I've been really happy with the little effort I need to put, I don't want to say little effort, but the, the amount of 
time put into it, I, I've been pleased with it so far. That's a great response. I, I, I think I really like what you said where you notice sometimes when you're only in the third set and you're like, oh, my adductors are already at that breaking point. I think that's when you're training front splits and middle splits. For the middle splits, you feel that in the adductors. And when you've been training it enough, you start to recognize exactly what Wes described of, all right, I need to stop right now or I'm going to fuck myself over. And the same is true in the hamstrings and the hip flexors in the front splits. So, again, once if, you're, if you've been training it for a little while, once a week is all you need. And then you know what? Every now and then you're probably going to want to take a week off too. Um, if you're super new to middle split, front split training, you could definitely train it twice a week where you're just doing like for the front splits, some kind of basic hamstring hip flexor work uh, and the middle splits, some horse stances, maybe some, maybe a little introduction to uh, isometric holds or straddle up something like that. You could probably do that twice a week. But once you really start getting into it, once a week is, is more than enough. Also, I want to throw in there. I like that you said, take a week off. People are probably like, wait, what, take a week off? And I'm doing it at this minimal frequency as well. Um, the, and it's funny that you said that because the, the recent post I did where I posted on that middle split, I had actually taken two weeks off for like 12 days because I had been traveling so much. Um, and it was with family too. So I was, I was pretty busy on the trip. So like the, the little training I got in, um, I was prioritizing strength work. So I just didn't have time for a lot of mobility work. Um, so that middle split, video I posted recently was, uh, was the first time I'd done it in over 12 days. Um, and I, I probably felt better than I had previously done when I was doing it consistently because I gave my adductors break. So, you know, you could think of it like a uh, super compensation kind of kicked in, in there and, uh, the training finally caught up to where I wanted to be. You could think of it that way. Um, so I, I like taking a break there. That's uh, something that people should probably do more often than not. Yeah. Completely agreed. Um, all right, next question. I feel called to coach in the mobility wor world. What are the best classes slash certifications? All right. Um, you know, the first one that's coming to mind, probably you're going to say it too. Um, and I haven't taken any of their stuff in a couple years. So I don't know if it's gone downhill, you know, gotten weird, gone in a weird direction. Um, but when you and I were both taking a lot of their classes, uh, functional range conditioning, FRC, um, was a great platform, uh, to be on. They have, you know, tons of online educational content. The, the stuff, the, the depth they get into it is they go really deep too. Um, so for people that like to geek out, it's awesome. Um, so that's a great place to start, especially with mobility work. Yeah, that's uh, I would totally second that. That's an uh, absolute game changer for me. And it really helps you understand like uh, anatomy of the body, how certain stimulus, how your body interprets certain stimuluses um, to make mobility gain. So that's definitely the number one. I mean, I, I can't imagine that's gone downhill at all. I know they I looked at their online. We still I mean, we took the certifications probably four or five years ago and we still have access to like an awesome library of information and they constantly update it and add things. So that's, that's where I would start. Uh, and also if there's someone, you know, in person, who's really good at the stuff you want to be good at, or maybe someone online you've seen, pay them to train you for a couple months. Like that's the best way. That's I think what Wes and I do a lot now for quote unquote, continuing education is 
train with practitioners we're impressed with and just see nine times out of 10, you're going to take away a lot of really good information there and use it with future clients as well. So that's to me the best way to learn. But at the base, that functional range conditioning is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I, I like to think of working with different coaches online as kind of like an apprenticeship um, because it's, a, it's basically the equivalent of the same thing and you're, you're paying a higher premium price for it, but you're expediting the process tenfold because that coach that you're working with has already done the work. Um, you know, they've, they've laid down the groundwork. They've worked with, assuming you choose a good coach, they've worked with numerous amounts of people um, and hopefully have gotten success. So they kind of know what works and maybe what doesn't work. So you're paying for that sped up process per se. Um, so it's definitely a great route to go to um, without a doubt. And the only other one I would include in there is I would check out anything Charles Poliquin related. Um, his stuff's good and it's, it's really good for um, understanding programming, just basic strength work. And then as you have a better understanding of it, you can um, kind of put your own twist on it, kind of like what I have with a lot of my training and apply more body weight or gymnastic strength training to his concepts or principles. What is, what is his certification? Do you know, or his seminar? Um, so the, he has a few of them now because he's, he, he kind of started with one company and then left it and then started another company. Um, and then also, so like he started with the, it was literally just called, I think, Poliquin and they were based out of Rhode Island um, he left, but it's still called the Poliquin group. So they've got an online educational platform, which is great. Um, he left and started what's called strength sensei or sense. Yeah. Sensei. Oh, I've seen that. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. Great online educational platform. Um, I think they have like a monthly membership. that's only like $30 and they've got really good quality stuff on there every month. Um, and then also one of his, I think his director of training when he was, um, when he was in Rhode Island, his director of training left and started his own company called Kilo Strength. Um, and they've got great online certifications I've taken as well on, you know, program design, periodization, uh, structural balance. Um, so that's another really good uh, one to check out as well. So there's, there's some decent, um, and none of it's going to be applicable to, you know, body weight stuff like you and I are doing. But once you gain the experience with the body weight stuff, you know, learn, these basic concepts or principles that are basically universal to getting stronger, regardless if it's a barbell or body weight. Um, and then you can apply it to the body weight stuff. Yeah. And one last note on FRC, I, I think they're starting back in-person seminars in the very near future. So uh, I would definitely attend an in-person one if you can. I feel like I know I personally learn way better in person than I do like over Zoom. So <laughs> that'd be a tough one to take on zoom too without having like hands-on approach yeah you need a buddy there with you or something um all right uh, interesting question uh most optimal way to train upper body skills and strength at at the same time okay upper body skills and strength at the same time it's a you know i'm gonna give them it's a well thought out question we get some pretty dumb questions so they at least thought about this one all right, so upper body skills. So the ones that are coming to mind right off the bat, um, handstand push-up and press to handstand. Press to handstand can be a stalder, you know, it can be a pike, it can be a straddle press um, because there's a skill component. Um, 
in comparison to something like a lever or a one-arm chin-up where there's no um, skill-based component. It's just pure raw strength. Um, so let's look at, we'll look at the handstand push-up first. Um, and it just said, so read the question once more now. It's most optimal way to train upper body skills and strength at the same time. Okay. Now I'm thinking about this one because I'm thinking like where on the, the kind of progression someone would be. Um, most optimal way to still. All right. Yep, so I, I, find, I find it to be a funny question because I, as someone who's trained upper body skills, I think of that as strength work. There's such yeah, a strength yeah. component to all of it. Um, I think some people might, especially, and I can totally relate because I kind of came from this space, people that are working out in a more traditional manner, thinking that like bench press, overhead pressing, heavy bent over rows, that's strength work. And then they get into the more body weight stuff and they're like, oh no, I'm going to lose my muscle mass. I'm going to lose all these gains I've made. Um, and I think just the way that question was worded, that's kind of what I'm gathering. But I think once you really get into this sort of training, you're going to be like, oh, holy shit, this is strength work too. I, I see now. I gave this person way more credit that they were looking for way more of an in-depth answer as opposed to you, where I think you, <laughs> you, you interpret it as a way, <laughs> as a completely different question. So, all right. If, if it's, if we're going to leave it at that, I'm fine with that. Works for me. And that also, that goes back to kind of, I think it was the first question we had on lifting weights. Um, so kind of what we said is we kind of work on the more skill specific drills in the beginning of a session. And then we do supplemental weighted stuff uh, near the end of the session that complement that skill and build strength hint, hint there, uh, for that skill. So, um, you train a skill early, the body weight stuff early. And then later in the session, you do weighted strength work that complement the skill. That's uh, I guess that's the easy answer. Yeah. Cause I, that, that skill-based stuff is going to be more neurologically demanding. So you need to do it while you're fresh so you can get the highest, you know, level of quality out of it. Um, you know, so that would be, you know, if we're working on handstand pushups, but you don't have a handstand yet, you know, we're going to, we're going to dedicate all our time to that freestanding handstand work in the beginning, or, you know, if it's pressed to handstand work, whatever variation you need on that. But, you know, that's the, the, the beef of the, or the meat and potatoes of the, uh, the session. So we need to spend most of our time there, I'd say. All right. Why do you guys train barefoot? Um, I think the simple answer is it's keeping the feet strong and healthy, in my opinion. Um, more often than not, even if you're wearing a truly, truly minimalist shoe, this, the foot is going to be somewhat restricted to some extent. There is still some slight padding in there. So I, there's nowhere I work out that doesn't allow me to train barefoot. So I, I always train barefoot. I just find it more comfortable, especially with like, yeah. you know, handstand work, body, like handstand pushups, press to handstand work. Um, I just, I don't want to use oh, handstand work. Yeah. I can't imagine having shoes on for handstand <laughs> work. Anytime I see someone on Instagram wearing shoes and like doing press to handstand, like that would just feel so weird to me. And honestly, even I deadlifted today, I deadlifted barefoot. It's, it's so much more comfortable to be totally honest. Um, I, I just feel more comfortable. Forget about all the, you know, the stability and health benefits um, that come from kind of not having your foot confined to a shoe, even like what you were saying, even if it's 
a minimalist shoe or a low profile shoe or a wide toe base or whatever. Um, I still just find it more comfortable. Like any, anytime I'm somewhere like nine out of 10 times, my shoes are coming off. Like even in like public settings, like, you know, I'm somewhere, my shoe comes off. Both of them, not just singular. I, I don't, at this point, I don't remember the last time I did a workout without shoes on. It'd be very awkward for me if I had to. <laughs> What's the best way to loosen tight adductors? Uh, I feel like you and I would both go with a horse stance squat as an as a opener one or a starter. I like that. And this is, I've been someone that's definitely bashed myofascial release, but this might be the one muscle that I've done some stuff on that I feel like is beneficial. Um, and so what, like if I'm, if I've maybe overtrained from a middle split session yeah, uh, and my adductors, or I've done a lot of dragon squats, sometimes my inner groin can get a little tight and funky. If I like lay on a kettlebell handle, so not a foam roller, a very, like a big time stimulus, a very tough stimulus and find some tight spots in my adductor that can totally help before any session that's testing my adductor. So horse stance work, middle split work, um, even dragon squats, anything like that. So I would maybe try that. Um, just laying, putting, setting up a kettlebell and just laying your inner thigh on it, finding some tight spots, hanging out there for a little bit, letting it get loose and then get into your session. Um, But on top of what Wes said, yeah, horse stance squats, and then progressing that uh, to horse stance holds, to wider horse stance, horse stance good mornings, really put a nice stretch on the adductor. Um, Yeah, good on the rabbit hole of the horse stance in general, and that'll take you pretty far. Yeah, the other one I'd say too is Taylor's pose. I know you've done done some videos on that. But I I also like that you included – you know, the myofascial release, but as a way to prep to then go and actually work the adductors, you know, you just didn't say, I stick. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta do something. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that's totally fine. You're using that kettlebell to warm you up and prepare you for the adductor work. You found it beneficial. So who's to say it's right or wrong. If you find it's helping you and you're making progress, you're staying healthy. Um, So there's some benefit there. You know, you're applying a stress with that kettlebell. It's causing a, an effect and it's apparently working. So I would say there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, do something too. Just don't smash it and then go yeah. back to sitting and wonder and why. And a, tra- a traditional foam roller is not going to be enough input. It's got to be something gnarly like a metal kettlebell. Uh, yeah, so I would try that. All right, best advice to stay consistent with stretching. Oh, you and I are bad at this because it's you and I just we I don't want to say we're good at being consistent, but this isn't something we have to force ourselves to do, you know, because we enjoy it so much. Yeah, my best advice would be like, so I'm assuming someone's asking this, they're probably super tight and they've recognized they want to get more mobile. My thing is don't overwhelm yourself right away. Create some easy daily routine that's 10 to 15 minutes and maybe maybe 20 minutes and just stick to that until you're you've seen some progress and you maybe at that point two months later you you're recognizing all right I've made 
it's in progress, but man, my hips, I need an overhaul in my hips or something. Then you can get a little more specific with it. But I think creating the habit of just that little bit and seeing a little bit of progress will help it stick a little better. Uh, it's easy to overwhelm yourself and like, all right, I'll, let me start my middle split training today. And <laughs> you can't even come close to touching your toes. Like, well, let's back up and do some easier stuff first. So, Yeah. And I like that you said that because honestly, with with Instagram especially, I think people run into this like paralysis by, paralysis by analysis thing where, you know, they see what other people are doing and it's a million things and they're just like, whoa, I can't even get started. I'm so overwhelmed. Um, so they, they don't get started or if they get started, they did a million exercises, you know, and they had this big burst of motivation where they did mobility work for 90 minutes, but then they don't do it again for like 10 days. So start simple, set yourself up for success, do five minutes every day and just work on staying consistent. You're, you're doing something, so you're going to get better. Um, and then it's just like what John said, as you get into it, you know, then you realize maybe my, my hips need work. It's just kind of like peeling back these layers of the onion. You don't start with middle split work. You just start with maybe getting in the bottom position of a squat and go from there. Yeah. And if you, if you make that stick for a month, two months, you'll be like, oh, you'll just start adding these things in and adding these things in and it'll, it'll all add up to great things. Um, best exercises to rehab a knee injury, kind of vague. We don't know the extent of the knee injury, but, uh, all right. So vague uh, answer. I'm going to give a, a vague response here. So this okay. is going to go, this is going to go for most rehab in general. Um, because I also got the question, what's the best exercise for insert whatever's injured, you know, lower back, knee, SI joint, shoulder. Um, the, the best exercise is going to be whatever the meaningful activity is you want to get back to. Um, so if this person has a knee injury and they want to get back to, you know, heavy back squatting, um, obviously we're not just going to walk into the gym and load up you know, what we were back squatting before this knee injury. And once again, I don't know if it's, something like a patella tendonitis, or if we just had some sort of um, surgery like ACL, MCL, something like that, or a meniscus injury. Um, but really, it doesn't matter here because th this concept or principle can be applied to any injury. Um, so you pick a meaningful activity. If it's they want to get back to squatting heavy, maybe we'd start with lunges or you know some sort of single leg squat variation um, and pick, pick a range of motion, pick a load, pick a number of sets and reps, um, that stress it just enough, you know, the, the kind of the outcome marker I use when I'm working with clients is on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst pain imaginable. Don't push it beyond a three out of 10. You know, if you're at a one, two or three, you're probably not doing any significant damage. Um, it's probably, there's a lot of components that go into pain that we're not going to talk about right now. Um, but that three out of 10, um, you're probably not doing damage unless you're just super sensitive and a giant pussy. Um, but most of the time that three out of 10 is good. And here's the thing too. Let's say you, you go in, you do your, your split squats, your lunges, whatever variation you choose, maybe shrimp squats or a, a regressed version of shrimp squats. Um, and you do too much. All right. Awesome. You just got a lot of good information that knowing, you know, the number of sets, reps and weight that you did last time aggravated it. So back it off next time. It's, it's, I hate to say it's a little bit of trial and error too, and people don't want to hear that. 
people think there's this perfect program, perfect exercise or perfect, perfect um, progression back to, um, you know, a, a healthy insert, whatever the injury is. Um, but you, you kind of, it's kind of this intuitive approach more or less. Um, and that's why it helps to work with coaches a lot with things like that. Um, because we can be our own worst enemies with that. So it would simply be, um, did it hurt? Did, did I make it worse during the tra training session? Was it worse the next day? No. Okay. I can push my boundaries a little more and you continue that. And for this person, for the squatting example, you know, after X number of weeks to months of doing single leg squat variations, maybe we'd progress to bilateral squatting, you know, and follow that same kind of process again until we're back to squatting our heavy, the, the weight we were squatting before the knee injury. Same thing would go if it was running or a wrist injury that I just dealt with. Um, so it's just slowly applying a stress and, and allowing it to change over time and not rushing the process. Yeah, that's a great answer. The, uh, the only thing I would add is uh, when you are doing the unilateral work, slow things down, work through yeah. it with a really slow tempo. That's just giving your body, mind, body and mind a lot of information there on how to own that range and, and rebuild strength through those ranges. Um, if you are limited with what you're able to do training-wise, I would also encourage you to just work on your hip mobility because um, that's probably stuff you can do without any stress to the knee. And if a joint just above an injured joint gets better from a mobility standpoint, chances are it's going to assist with that injured joint too. So if you've got some free time, work on the joint above the knee as well. It's a really good point. The kinetic chain. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up. That is all our questions today. Uh, thanks so much yeah. for listening guys. Uh, we took a two week hiatus. Hopefully we're back for some, more consistent podcast. Uh, as always, if you guys have any topics you'd like us to just kind of dive into, please shoot either of us a DM. Um, happy to go into more depth on some of these stuff. We like doing the mailbag stuff, but we also would love a topic where we can just rant for 30, 45 minutes. So if you've got something like that, please feel free to shoot us a message. Uh, if you're liking the podcast, please rate it, review it, subscribe share it on your Instagram stories. We'll reshare that always. Um, but other than that, thanks again for listening. Uh, you got anything, Dr. Wes? No, you always crush this outro. So I'm going to shut up and call it right there. All right. Appreciate it, guys.